Support for Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio is made possible by M&M Printing and the Observer News of Ruskin. Hello and welcome to this edition of Veterans Corner Radio, information for and about veterans. On today's Veterans Corner, Bill Hodges talks with Lieutenant General Dana Adkins, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Military Officers Association of America, also known as MOAA. If you are one of 23.3 million service members, past or present, from all branches of the military and three uniform services, MOAA exists to protect your earned benefits and to offer you resources you can't find anywhere else. But most importantly, MOAA is here to help you connect with one another. Why? Because MOAA believes in taking care of those who take care of us. Stick around and hear how MOAA works for their 350,000 members and what they can and will do for you. Here now is Bill Hodges with Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio. Welcome to Veterans Corner, a show dedicated to providing information to all those who have served our country's military and to their families. Now, here is your host, newspaper columnist, management trainer, and Air Force veteran, Bill Hodges. Hi, I am Bill Hodges, and this is Veterans Corner Radio. And I want you to remember, every time, there are going to be phone numbers, there'll be websites, there'll be all kinds of information you're going to want to write down, so be sure to have a pencil and paper handy. My guest today is General Dana Atkins. He's president and CEO of the Military Officers Association of America, to which I am an honorary member. With my three stripes, I couldn't be a real member, but the guys (laughs) let me be a, I guess maybe a mascot. Oh, no, more than that, Bill. (laughs) It's awful nice to have you on the program. Can you give us a little background of what the Military Officers Association of America is? Yeah, Bill. um First of all, we've been in existence since 1929. So we, you know, I guess we've got some bench strength, I guess, uh, over multiple decades of being a, not only a veteran service organization, but also a military service organization. And that's kind of a uniqueness about us. Often people will ask me, well, what's the difference? Well, as a veteran service organization, we certainly work with veteran issues and mostly with the federal government. So through the VA and, and, and the, the administration, the current administration. As a military service organization, we work almost principally with DOD OSD, you know, on, on issues and particularly probably more aligned with active duty service members uh, and the issues that involve them and their families. I think what our mission is, and certainly that's the part that we hang our hat on, is that we advocate for the earned benefits, pay and benefits that our service members have either earned through their own career service or as active duty service members. General, can I make a quick point on that? And I think what you touched on is so important. These are earned benefits. Right. These are not welfare programs. They're what you earned. It's like having an insurance policy that you're being paid back on now. It's there and it's not cutting another veteran out. If you take advantage of the VA or you do one of the other things, you're not cutting another veteran out. Is that correct? Bill, absolutely. You know, 
And, and that's probably one of the biggest challenges. And you mentioned, you know, unearned benefit. When we go to Congress and we advocate, you know, either with the House side of Congress or the Senate side of Congress, you need to recognize that probably less than 15% now of our congressional leadership has had any military service at all. That's a shame. So they are actually, they're actually a little bit, you know, I would say, uh, and I, I don't mean the word negatively, but, but they're ignorant on the actual pay benefits, earned benefits that a service member accrues through their service commitments. And so, you know, I spent a lot of my time literally just educating congressional leaders about the military, about their compensation packages, about their earned benefits, and their job as congressional leaders to insulate those benefits from any, you know, erosion over time. It's really scary when you look at it, when you have people that don't understand at all the military, I don't know what a psyche, but it's the military people and what we've done and gone through. And then they're trying to make up rules for us. John Rowan, who I'm sure you know, the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America, John was talking to me and telling me about two and three generations down now with Agent Orange. Right. You know, that's, uh, well, speaking of Agent Orange, again, we've had some success recently uh, with Agent Orange. Now, there's two, two issues that we've legislated strongly for. That's the Blue Water Navy Act. Uh, I think you're very familiar with that. Yes. That allows, obviously, sailors who had, uh, who've been uh, basically operating uh, on vessels that are, you know, kind of in the blue water, not the brown water or on shore, who were exposed to Agent Orange, just like somebody who was, you know, land-based like this. And that, that benefit has been now codified in law. So there's quite a few. I think the estimate is somewhere around 90,000 veterans um, who are in that blue water Navy category who will now hopefully get the benefits that in fact they earned, uh, as, as we've mentioned before. And the other one, along with Agent Orange is we've now, hopefully we've, it's not through Congress yet, but it's uh, in the House side of the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. But there are three additional presumptive ailments with Agent Orange that will now be recognized. And again, we're working right now, the Senate has some resistance. You know, it's always been about money, Bill. You know, I mean, <laughs> when, when you, you, you ask a congressman, well, why wouldn't you support something like this? Well, because, you know, OMB came back and they priced this out at X amount of dollars, you know, and you, and you kind of, you almost have to laugh. You kind of say, really? But you don't understand. It's not about dollars. You know, it's about, you know, their quality of life. The fact that our nation had promised to take care of them, you know, for, for their service commitments. And, and now we're, we're negating that, that honest, you know, at, at least support that we as a nation have promised these service members over time. Well, I remember the, the poem that Rudyard Kipling wrote, uh, the, word, the one Tommy. Oh, I yeah. don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's a great one. Everybody, I think everybody in Congress ought to read that and re- get the idea that we need the help, not just when there's war going on, but all the time. Well, you know, one of the things when I go out and I have an opportunity to speak to public audiences, uh, the one of the things I, I talk about a lot is about I would call it a looming strategic imperative for our nation. And that's the ability to recruit and retain these talented, you know, young sons and daughters, our sons and daughters who will become, you know, the next generation of our military. And I'll I'll just give you some real quick kind of just statistics that I use. First of all, the heart of the envelope for recruiting in the military is age 17 to 22. And if you look at our national population, there's roughly about 20 million 
of our nation's sons and daughters out there that are in that age bracket, 17 to 22. But when you overlay what it takes to come into the military, whether that's physical, mental, moral, legal, or whatever, <laughs> academically, only 25% of that 20 million actually qualifies to come into the military today. So now 20 million went to 4 million. When you then overlay, it's called propensity. That's somebody's desire to come into the military or seek the military as a career option. 4 million goes down to 400,000. And then wow. when you aggregate what the demand signal is from the military. So when you aggregate Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, et cetera, our nation needs to recruit every year, needs to recruit 265,000 new. Whoa, that's half of them, more than half. More than half of them. Now, when you overlay what parents are telling their kids, 55% of parents basically discourage their children from going into the military. So you can see that, you know, you got the demand signal here, and then you've got all the, you know, the external, I would say, uh, actors on, on recruitment. And our nation is facing a strategic challenge to be able to continue to basically have the force strength of the military that we need under the current dynamics that we're facing. I will be unabashed at saying I'm for the draft. I think it should be shared across the nation. I don't think one group of people, because maybe they don't have enough money, they can't afford school or whatever, should be the ones to bear all the burden of going into the military and to reap the benefits of going into the military. My God, of the four years I spent in the military, I can't think of four more years in my entire life that were more beneficial than those four years. You know, Bill, people have always asked me, do you think you benefited personally, professionally, et cetera, you know, from the military? And my answer is absolutely yes. I, I am a better person for having had the opportunity to serve in the military, whether that was one year, 10 years, or 20 years. I mean, I, I'm just a better person. I think I would say most who, who come out of the military will say the same thing. I'm wondering, we've only got about five minutes left. But I'd like to touch a little bit on active duty because more often than not, I talk about veterans. Right. And I guess active duty are still veterans because they're there. Sure. What do you see the people you representing in active duty? What do they need? Yeah, I think the, the biggest issue facing active duty military today, and actually that actually cascades into to veterans, is health care. You know, there's a, there's a movement abroad right now in Congress to move all healthcare, particularly the healthcare for family members outside of DOD, the, the military healthcare system, and kind of go into the open market. You know, the first entree to that was with the dental plan. Most of the individuals uh, in, in the military, we all had Delta Dental that got pushed out into the federal um, side. So that's now under the federal dental and vision plan. Uh, Say so there's a lot of motivation to move, again, family healthcare out and then have only active duty healthcare be covered by the military healthcare system. The other thing is the rising cost of healthcare. Right now, most individuals, both active duty and then when you get into the retirement category, have TRICARE. And you have categories of TRICARE, TRICARE Prime, meaning that you go to a military medical treatment facility, something on an installation, or you have TRICARE Select, meaning you kind of go out on the economy and and have the op opportunity to select uh, you know, a provider of your choice out here. When you're over 65, you then have TRICARE for life. And that's kind of the second bill pair for those who are eligible for Medicare Part B. But they're continually revolving those contracts. And the contracts end up 
making the burden, the additional financial burden on the shoulders of the beneficiary. So we're seeing that right now. They're going into what they call T5 of TRICARE, meaning it's the fifth generation of the TRICARE contract. It looks like um, there could be a potential for enrollment fees to go up. There could be a potential for co-pays to go up. There could be a potential for the networks to kind of collapse because there's really not enough providers out there. You probably know, Bill, that the reimbursement rate for TRICARE is below Medicare Part B. So a doctor who's running a business will say, you know, I'll do my due diligence here and I'll take a certain beneficiary population here under TRICARE, but but I got to run a business. I got to make some money here like this. I got to pay my own employees and, and my own overhead. And quite frankly, uh, the reimbursement rate for TRICARE makes me kind of give away my business. And so, so there's some reluctance of, of doctors to take on a large patient population that are under TRICARE. So we're working really hard again, to try to insulate that earned benefit, you know, and keep it as much as, you know, kind of status quo as possible. That really makes it difficult in our county here. We're the third largest, as far as veterans are concerned, county in the United States here in Jacksonville County. We have Central Command sitting over here. A lot of people come here to retire being in Florida. And I can see where a lot of doctors are looking at and saying, wait a minute. Right. Absolutely. You know, the other thing we're trying to do, and I think we've been pretty successful, and that's to, to gain parity and compensation for active duty service members. I, I mentioned before that there's a significant challenge, national challenge to continue to recruit and retain. Uh, but if you're not going to compensate our service members in some sort of parity with their private sector um, counterparts, then you know where they're going to go. They're going to go, you know, obviously where the compensation and the benefits sure. uh, are better. So we, you know, there was a point where the differential from the military to the private sector in an equal type of job was 14%. And we've kind of closed that gap now uh, over the years to about 2%. So there's still a 2% decrement in somebody doing the same job in the military as somebody who's doing the job in, in the private sector, but we're trying to keep that. General Adkins, we're, we're down to about a minute. Okay. I, I know I haven't asked you everything that I should, but is there something special you need to get out? Well, Bill, I do want to say this. You know, you mentioned that you're an honorary member of, uh, of the Sun City chapter, and we're glad to have you on board. I want people to know that even though our nomenclature is Military Officers Association of America, our legislative advocacy is, is agnostic. I'm working just as hard for the private that as, as I am for the, for the general right here. And I think our whole team does that, and, and our, our membership supports that as well, too. And I would I would ask those individuals uh, who are officers or, or warrant officers to consider joining our team. Because when we have more members, we actually open the door wider. I, I can recall an event about two months ago when I walked into a congressional leader's office and I'll withhold the name. And the first question was, how big are you? <laughs> yeah. well, in, my, in my sarcastic way, I said, well, I'm about 5'9 and 185. <laughs> but they really wanted to know, how many people did we represent? Because if the number was big, then they were going to listen. And so again, having a broad membership, and again, we're about 350,000 strong. So we, the door opens pretty wide for us. And, and again, we've had a remarkable record, 13 years in a row, we have been named as the outstanding veteran service organization lobbyist in the nation, 13 years in a row. So I think that speaks for what we're doing, I think. I think so too. My guest today has been General Adkins, He's the president and CEO of the Military Officers Association of America. And I hope you'll come back 
Will you come back with me? Yeah, no, absolutely. First of all, you and I got a, a lot of war stories to share, so <laughs> I'd love to come back and talk to you. Are you ever going to come out here to Florida 42 and visit us? Yeah, right now, to be honest with you, we're, we're kind of doing the telework thing right here. Sure. You know, uh, I'm in the office. I think even though we have a beautiful uh, headquarters complex up here in Alexandria, Virginia, there's only probably about three or four of us in the office today, and everybody's you know kind of doing the telework, social distancing, and, and that's the responsible way to be doing that. But I think, you know, again, I'd love to get down there. I, I've had a chance to go two years in a row uh, to the Florida Council, where all the chapters come together, and typically that's been hosted in Orlando. So I, I've gone there a couple times. We'll have to get you over here. We're not burning an hour's drive from there. And by the way, before we break, I want you to thank Janelle Cox, your administrative assistant, for all the help she did in getting this together. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Bill Hodges. This has been Veterans Corner Radio. You're unique, you're special, and you're great. Tell yourself so often because you are, you know. And thanks for being with us, General Adkins. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Veterans Corner with your host, Air Force veteran Bill Hodges. The views expressed on this program are those of Bill and his guests and are opinions based on the best available information. In matters of law or governmental regulation, it will always be best to check with the appropriate agency. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next Veterans Corner. Here's a quick final thought. If you're enjoying these podcasts, why not take a minute to subscribe or mark Veterans Corner Radio as a favorite? It's easy, and you'll be set to be among the first to find out when new podcasts are published. And thanks again for listening to Veterans Corner Radio.